We're in a series in this book, and we are using the Psalms to talk about our worship. And in particular, we are talking about the order, the structure of our worship, what we call liturgy. And we're doing this because it's helpful to do that. It's helpful to reflect on what we do here every Sunday that is important, it is essential, it's vital for our life as Christians. But we're also doing this because the shape of what we do on Sundays should become the shape of our life throughout the week. And so we have looked at the call to worship and our response of joyful singing. Uh, We have looked at the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. And this week we uh, look at the third movement of our worship service. It is the movement where we read and hear the teaching uh, based on Scripture. It's the movement that I'm going to call consecration. And we are going to come to Psalm 19. And yes, this morning I'm going to preach a sermon about sermons. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 19 uh, together to help us do that. I'm going to read the whole psalm for us. Hear now the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor there are, are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, yes, we join those words. We desire that for our time here uh, this morning and, and throughout our days. That our words, our thoughts would be acceptable In your sight, would you help us this morning to share in David's delight, his joy in your word? We pray that you would humble us before these words, trusting that they are good, that they are wise, that there is life here. And we ask once again for you to keep your promise that your spirit would be with us and active as we gather in the name of Christ and we pray in his name. Amen. Here's the basic message this morning. Here's the point. I'm not the only one who should work on the sermon. I am not the only person in this community 
who should work on the sermon. I've used the word liturgy throughout this series to refer to and to talk about the structure of our worship. That word liturgy comes from a Greek word that means the people's work. You see, as we gather here on a Sunday morning, we come with work to do. And we do this work together. We invite everyone's full participation in the work of worship that we do on Sunday mornings. And that's true of the singing. That's true of the praying. That's true of the confessing. That's true of the eating and drinking. But that is also true of the preaching. I'm not the only one who should work on the sermon. You see, when we sit down for this time, when you sit down for this time, when you sit down for the reading and the preaching, the teaching of Scripture, I have a job to do, and so do you. And convenient for me this morning, we're going to talk about your job. (laughs) Which is very, very similar to my job, so we're talking about my job as well. We have work to do together in response to Scripture. And of course, that work involves listening. Lots of jobs involve listening. A great counselor is a good listener. Even with all the medical technological advancements we have, the stethoscope, an instrument of listening, is still a key tool for medical professionals. I once knew a mechanic who had a stethoscope-like Instrument, and he could listen to an engine and diagnose what is what was wrong with that engine. What was wrong with that engine immediately and accurately just by listening. Listening is important for lots of jobs, and it is vital for the vocation of worship. It is vital for what we gather to do here on Sunday, and not just on Sunday. It is vital throughout. The week in our response to scripture in response to the Bible. And so I want us to come to Psalm 19. I want us to consider this poetry about God's word. And we'll ask a couple of questions about the task of listening. Two questions. Why should we listen? How should we listen? First of all, why? Quite simply, we should listen because God speaks. We should listen because God speaks. This poem presents us with a beautifully communicative God. He's a talker. God is kind of an extrovert. He's not like some wood sprite or ghost who just whispers here and there. No, his world is full of speech. There is an abundance of words according to Psalm 19. God is a talker. He speaks. He communicates. And he speaks, first of all, through the visible, physical world around us. The heavens declare, the the skies proclaim, the movement of day and night, the triumphant and joyful march of the sun from east to west. All of it babbles, talks, speaks of God's glory. The physical world around us and its beauty is a manifestation, it is a communication of how great God is. 
Astronomy has been in the news this week. There's a unique planetary alignment that's visible in the night sky. Uh, scientists think they have, might have discovered a ninth planet in our solar system. In that news, God is talking. God is speaking. He is communicating. He speaks of how great He is, how powerful He is, how beautiful He is. But as wonderful as it is that God speaks through the physical and the visible world, that's not enough. And that's not all. If we would know God, we need more than the creation around us. We need more than the wordless speech of our world. And so, beginning in verse 7, God speaks through his law. Now that word law is the word Torah. For David, it would have referred to the first five books of the Bible. That was his Bible. That was the Bible at that time. And that's what the word law, the word Torah, referred to. And I make that point so that you understand that when David speaks of the law, he doesn't just speak of the specific instructions of God. The first five books of the Bible include a lot more than just commands. They include stories and songs. They include this history of God's covenant, his relationship with his people. And it is the whole of Scripture, both direct commands and songs to God and stories about what God does for and through and in his people. It is all of that that David describes and celebrates with this poetry. And notice as he does that. That these words, the speaking of God through Scripture, these words for him, they are not just words about God. They are not just information about God. They are the actions of God. When God speaks through his word, stuff happens. It revives the soul. Enlightens the eyes, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart. In the field of linguistics, God's words through his scripture would be called speech acts. Words that don't just convey meaning, they create meaning. They change the world. And as David talks about the action of God's word, the change that God's word creates, there is a very interesting connection between what he says in Psalm 19 and Genesis chapter 3. Remember how God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he said, you can eat all the fruit from all the trees except one. You can't eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, knowledge, a pretty important word for this psalm, isn't it? And then do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, as Eve looks at that piece of fruit, as she is tempted by the serpent? Remember how she sees that that fruit, it's attractive. It's not only attractive, it has potential, it has power. It has the ability to make one wise. Sound familiar? You see, David echoes the language of Genesis chapter 3 to speak about God's word. Which is attractive, 
It's delightful. It is also powerful. Powerful enough to make one wise. Why does David do that? Why does he echo that story? Well, he's saying something about the transformative power of God. He is saying something about the transformative power of God speaking through the scriptures. He is saying that transformative power is on the scale of that story. It is about the potential and the ability to restore us to what has been lost. It is about the potential of the renewal for humanity of true life and true wisdom. Because in the scripture we have God's voice enabling us to return to him and to his way. And so his word can revive the soul. His word doesn't just educate. It resurrects the dead. That's why David finds scripture. Why he finds the Bible so desirable and so valuable. Better than gold. Better than honey. See, scripture... Scripture isn't your mom forcing you to eat kale. It's a master chef serving you dessert. That's why we should listen. That's why we should listen. We should listen because God speaks in this way. He speaks in a way that revives the soul, enlightens the eyes, rejoices the heart, makes wise the simple. When we come to God's word, we encounter his power to resurrect the dead. That's why we should listen when he speaks. That's why we should listen to the reading and the teaching of the Bible. Whether that's on Sunday or whether that's our encounter with scripture throughout the week. We should listen because we so desperately need For God to speak. I have some friends who for a short time fostered two young girls. And these girls came from an extremely negligent situation. And they noticed that these girls had trouble doing anything that involved their facial muscles. They had trouble chewing and smiling and talking. And they asked the the doctor about that. And he said that, that they're like that because... Typically developing babies learn to do all of the things that we do with our face through people speaking to them, making faces at them. And these girls were not given that interaction. Now that's incredibly tragic, isn't it? Do you understand that's that's our tragedy without God's word, without his address? Do you understand that is that is humanity's sadness And tragedy without the voice of God. But he has not been negligent. God has not neglected us like that. He has not left us unaddressed. He has spoken. He speaks of his glory in creation. In the beauty of the world around us. And he speaks of his love. Of his goodness. Of his redemption. In his word. He speaks. That's why we should listen. But second question. 
how should we do that? I, I don't know about you, but I read Psalm 19 and it, it, it sounds nice, but it doesn't always accurately describe my reading of the Bible. I don't, I don't come to it tasting honey all the time. I don't always experience this profound transformation. So we need to ask this question, this second question. Not only why should we listen to the reading and the teaching of the Bible, but how should we listen? If God speaks, how should we listen? I think verses 12 to 14 can help us answer that question. And these verses, they are surprising to me. Because I think I would expect, after this eloquent expression of God's word, God's voice in creation and in his scriptures, I would expect a dramatic commitment God, you've spoken in such beautiful and powerful ways. I will do everything you say. I will obey every command that you give to me. But that's not what we get in these verses, is it? We don't get commitment in verses 12 to 14. We get prayer. We get dependence. And it's a prayer of exposure. David, as he comes to God's word, he asks God to deal with his hidden sins. We've heard that word hidden before in this psalm. He uses it to talk about the sun and to talk about the pervasive heat of the sun. Nothing can escape the sun's heat. And so in this poem, the sun is not only a demonstration of God's glory as creator, it is also an image, a metaphor for God's word. And David brings himself, even the dark corners of himself, and he puts himself. Under the heat of God's voice. The heat of God speaking through his word. Through the scriptures. David places all of who he is. The external words of his mouth. The internal meditations of his heart. Under the light of God's truth. And God's voice. Remember how I mentioned the echoes of Genesis 3 here in this psalm? What did Adam and Eve do after they sinned, after they ate of the fruit which God told them not to eat? What did they do? They attempted to hide. They attempted to hide from the voice of God. And so this poetry is resistant to that movement. It is resistance to that attempt, our attempt to hide from God's voice in our sin. It pushes us then towards God's word to listen with vulnerability. And vulnerability is always risk. And because of the risk of vulnerability, this prayer in verses 12 to 14 is not only a prayer of exposure. It is also a prayer for acceptance. David puts it all out there. The dark corners of his life, he lays before God and his word and his work. And then he asks for innocence, blamelessness, and he asks to be made acceptable, pleasing. He says, God, here it all is on the table. Now delight in it. Be pleased with it. And this is... All of this is the language of sacrifices. Remember in the Old Testament, God relates and he receives his people at the temple through sacrifices. 
And some of these sacrifices represented forgiveness and reconciliation and purification. Others of these sacrifices, called whole burnt offerings, represented total devotion in relationship. God to the people, the people to God. And these sacrifices, they had to be blameless. They had to be animals without blemish. They had to be offered in a way that was acceptable. That God found pleasing according to his commandment to his people. David listens sacrificially. He brings himself to God's word. Like he would have brought an animal to God's temple, to God's presence. He brings all of who he is and puts himself before God. Desiring to be acceptable. Desiring to be pleasing. He holds nothing back. From the searching light and heat of God's truth. He listens sacrificially. And that's how we should listen as well. We should listen sacrificially. All in. All of us on the table before God and His Word. Several years ago, my granddad had a heart attack. And he was in the hospital for a while, and he was a terrible patient. (laughs) Complained about everything, resisted everything. And one day he got on the topic of hospital gowns. And he complained all day about these hospital gowns and how uncomfortable they were, and in particular how immodest they were and how uncovered he was at the hospital and was not happy with it. And finally a clever nurse looked at him and said, Mr. Robson, why do you think we call it the ICU? We should listen to God's word. We should come to the reading and the teaching of the scriptures like we're in the ICU. Open. Willing to be uncomfortably exposed to God and his truth and his message. But we don't do that. We don't do that with some sadistic love of pain. We don't do that with some sadistic love of being uncomfortable. We do that in the hope of healing. To shift the the medical analogy a little bit, it's like coming to surgery. We put it all on the table, under the knife. Not because we love the pain, but because we are hopeful for healing. And here's the hope. Here's the comfort. In coming to God in this uncomfortably exposed way. The hope and the comfort is that as you come. If you come in Jesus. Because he is the perfect sacrifice who has gone before us. If you come in Jesus. You will be accepted. You will be accepted. God will be pleased. You can pray the prayer of exposure, the prayer for acceptance, but not wonder about the outcome. If you come in Jesus, you will be accepted. Now, maybe you'll be confronted. Maybe you'll be challenged. Maybe you will be called to repentance. Often we are by the scriptures. But you will never be rejected. You will never be rejected. 
the New Testament book of Hebrews, makes a similar move that Psalm 19 does. It picks up the sacrificial language and connects it to God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God's word is powerful and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it pierces and divides and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's sacrificial language. That's the priest cutting up the animal in preparation for sacrifice. And it says that before God's word, nothing can remain hidden. That we are all naked and exposed before the one to whom we must give account. Scary, right? Talk about ICU. That's frightening. But it's as if the writer of that book sees us trembling about that. And he says, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I have more to say. Yes, you stand naked and exposed before the one to whom you must give account. But, but let me say something else. Since then, we have a great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God. Who is tempted like we are. Who knows our weaknesses. But was completely and totally innocent. Who has gone before us. Because of Him. Don't come trembling to the sword of God's Word. Come confident before God's throne. Come with confidence and find mercy and grace for the time of need. See, the Hebrews is saying, you can come sacrificially to God's word. Because you have a priest who makes you acceptable. You have a priest who has been sacrificed for you. And if you are in him by faith, as you come to the burning fire of God's word, you will not be consumed. But you will find the warmth of God's favor. You will know his delight. You will know his pleasure. He is pleased with you. As you come open and vulnerable to his word. You have work to do. You have work to do in response to the Bible. You have work to do not only today, but you have work to do tomorrow and the next day and throughout this week in response to God revealing himself in the scriptures. You have work to do. But in the end, it is the work of receiving and attending to the work that God does. Our work is is to receive, to trust, to pay attention to His work. It is to attend to, to pay attention to what He has done and is doing through the gift of His Son and His Spirit. That's what you come asking. That's why in community Bible reading, we ask you to read the Bible praying, prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication because you are coming and you are asking, what has God done and what is he doing? Your work is to attend to the work that God has done. So bring it all. Bring it all. Don't just bring the pretty parts. Don't just bring the religious and the spiritual parts of your life. Bring it all. Put it on the table. Bring your guilt. Bring your shame. Bring your tensions. Bring your confusions. Bring your struggles and your sadness. Put it on the table. Before God's word. 
a word that won't just inform your brain, but will revive your soul. Let's pray.